Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod. We're back for another week. Round three of the AFLW seemingly dished up everything and the kitchen sink. We had enormous wins, we had close games, and we had a draw just to complete the collection. So there's plenty to talk about, so we've got to crack into it. But um, before we begin today's chat, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Bunurong and Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you have me, Marissa Lodnanik, and Sarah Burt. And it feels kind of uh, like a really unintentionally good segue that we start with an acknowledgement of country on this podcast because acknowledgements of country and welcomes to country were unfortunately a little bit, how do I, I'm trying to say this correctly, but I can't think of the way to say it. So I'm contentious. Start again. <laughs> yes, it became a contentious issue in this Indigenous round, one of two Indigenous rounds in the AFLW after... Or not because of the acknowledgements and welcome to countries themselves, but of what happened in between these things. So we need to start with it because it was a huge talking point on Friday night between the Bulldogs and the Frio game. It was a really, really big issue. So Sarah, do you want to explain kind of what's happened for people who were living under a rock and have no idea what we're waffling on about? Yeah, so first off, we've got two Indigenous rounds this year, so round three and four. So we're halfway through. Um, and for the first time, obviously, we've got all 18 teams wearing Indigenous Guernseys. And um, it's a really big deal for the league, I think. Um, I don't think I know. Um, and essentially what happened was the first game of the round, um, which was Frio and the Western Bulldogs, um, the host got up and said, um, unfortunately, we can't do a minute's silence because of sorry business. Now, um, I'm admitting my ignorance here, but I had to Google what that was. Um, and and they said that and then went on to do a minute's silence um, for the death of Queen Elizabeth. So um, that sparked a fair bit of outrage across, um, yeah, online, on Twitter, um, and with the, uh, with the clubs as well, um, 16 of the clubs. Um, I'm imagining that it was the other clubs that were yet to play, um, raised this with the AFL and said it's they were really concerned about it, particularly because it was Indigenous round. Um, and obviously in terms of colonisation and the complexities around those two things, that was a really interesting point to explore because obviously the couple of options that we had were before we were really knew what the AFL was going to do about it was a that they hadn't properly consulted Indigenous um, elders about the correct procedure around um, acknowledging the Queen's death and and how that could be linked in with the traditional acknowledgement of country um, or whether they had and it was actually having sorry business meant that they actually couldn't have the Queen's um, acknowledgement as well. So it was a pretty confusing and jarring experience. Um, and from my perspective, being there, it felt like um, the crowd was also confused and people just weren't quite sure what to do because it was quite an obvious sort of um, mismatch with what was happening. So 
after the game, it sort of came out that 16 of the clubs had expressed their concern um, and probably the wording around um, what was said. It was the um, Culture is Life CEO, Belinda Duart, who announced the last minute change. And um, it, yeah, that was, it was quite jarring because people sort of didn't really know where it sat, if that was actually how it was supposed to go, or if it was sort of a last minute um, thrown together situation. Obviously the Queen only died on Friday morning. So um, it would have been a last minute decision, but a really key um, sort of opportunity particularly an Indigenous round that the AFL probably missed. So they did end up pulling the minute silence for the rest of the round. Um, but a really sort of interesting and I can imagine for the Indigenous community a pretty upsetting experience. Absolutely. And one word that stuck out to me in what you just said was mismatch because I feel like that's what it boils down to. It's a mismatch of, I suppose, where the AFL and the football community sees themselves in terms of not only being a leader in um, the Indigenous space and how we respect and acknowledge the First Nations people and what the game's links are to First Nations people versus the fact that, you know, we are still in Australia, a colony, blah, 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 and how we respect the the Queen's death and stuff like that. So it really it was that mismatch, that kind of, point of tension between where we are, where we want to be, and these two, I suppose, opposing forces, for lack of a better word, and how we kind of handle both considering where we are as a country. So it was a really bizarre situation. I think the AFL deserves acknowledgement for changing things really quick, smart, after the clubs did say, no, this isn't going to fly particularly in these few rounds. Um, But obviously this is one of those things that could have been avoided if consultation started sooner and these uh, the appropriate people were spoken to in order to just avoid the mess altogether. Well, it would be interesting to see had the Queen died on Sunday or um, Sunday night or Monday where the league would have sat on it. Mm. Um, sort of a week later because as you say it's we probably have allegiance to both but how do you how do you manage that and and why was there such outrage from the Indigenous community obviously I understand why there was and I felt outraged myself but um, it's it's difficult when you're a national league and you're catering for people from all walks of life and all different beliefs and experiences so it would be interesting to reflect on this in the future and see if there was more time possibly and I'm not making excuses but if there was more time to see where the AFL may have stood on it. Absolutely it's going to be I suppose something we look back and it'll be interesting with however many years down the track how we look at it with those eyes but as you said, Indigenous round, it was a huge round. Every club had their Guernseys. They'll be wearing them at least once over the two rounds. Some of them have been absolutely spectacular. That Dogs Frio game was really exciting as well. It was really good to see Frio actually show something, even though they didn't get that win. It looked a little bit more like the Frio we've come to expect. So it was good positive signs from the Dockers. The Doggies will be absolutely stoked with another win, but... Let's have a look at some of the other results from the round. So 
as I said, we started with the Doggies beating the Dockers by three. Adelaide beat North by 14 points. The Giants were huge winners over the Swans by 47. The Pies just snuck past the Cats by four points. The Brisbane Lions continue to just pile on the goals. They beat the Suns by 73 in the Q Clash. We had a draw, the first draw of season seven. The Blues and Port drew 27 points apiece. Uh, the Ds continued on their merry way. They beat the Saints by 26. The Tigers got their first win of the season, beating the Hawks by 35. And Essendon continue to, I don't know if you can call them the surprise packet, but there is an element of surprise, I suppose, in them continuing to do well. They beat the Eagles by 52 points, but... I think the match we have to start with is that draw between the Blues and Port because they're just such a rarity in AFL. Obviously, listeners will know that I do a soccer pod as well on ESPN, so draws are part and parcel to me. I'm like, yeah, what are you? It's not that exciting. I say draws all the time, but a draw in the AFL just, it really is mind-boggling. So how did you kind of see this one and what does it mean for both of these teams? Because you can't really take a win or a loss in a draw. So how do you see this one uh, falling out for these two teams? Yeah, I think um, it was interesting and both teams were pretty disappointed with the draw, which I understand. But um, I think in terms of it being a spectacle and a spectator sport, it was really exciting because you get to see both sides really keeping up their attack levels the entire time. Yeah, obviously the first draw of this season and, as you said, I think it's only the sixth, fifth or sixth ever in the history of AFLW. So you can understand why they were disappointed. But um, both teams are looking really good and um, obviously as a draw you can't sort of pick one team that that played better. Um, But the Blues, I can understand why the Blues were disappointed because they were trailing by 13 points at half time. Um, and they were really looking like they could completely come back and they just, they couldn't. Um, and unfortunately, um, they won a free kick. Um, I think it was for high contact um, with only a few seconds left and um, they just couldn't do it. So um, that's really disappointing for them because they could have had the opportunity to have a really spectacular win. But I think it's really good for the league. And I think in terms of drawing more spectators in and, and having it as a as a spectacle, I think it's really exciting. And obviously um, both teams get the four points. So um, I think it's a positive, really. I think it's a positive too in a really weird kind of way. I feel like a lot of the chat post-game, particularly from the two camps, was that we're disappointed, we're frustrated because the thing with the draw is you, you really can see the path to a victory really clearly and that's an annoying thing if you're you're a coach particularly and you're in the business of getting wins. But I think it's a really positive sign for these two teams in particular and particularly Port. I think knowing that they're on the cusp of winning football only three rounds in when you look at some of the other expansion sides, the Hawks and Swans in particular, where it kind of they don't look anywhere near winning football. Obviously, Essendon is very much the outlier in the expansion team conversation, but the fact that Port can put on, you know, a really good quarter of football and that's what it came down to in this game, they really motored ahead in that second quarter and looked the good. So the fact that they are capable of that and now it's just about, um, I suppose, building off from that base for them, I think that's a really really positive sign for this team and for Lauren Arnell. But Obviously, 
at the end of the day, neither of them got the win. So they are going to be disappointed overall. A couple of the other games we had uh, this weekend, there were a couple of derbies. There was the Q Clash up in Brisbane and there was the first ever game between the Giants and the Swans at the SCG. Were you surprised by the Giants beating the Swans or the Lions beating the Suns? No. (laughs) Um, uh, No, no. And um, again, I've made it pretty clear that um, I think the Lions are the team to beat. Um, I mean, obviously a really, I wasn't going to say intense game. I think this like, I I just think it was a really um, disappointing game game I think and um I don't I don't think anyone was overly surprised um but there was some really fantastic things to take out of it um but no I wasn't I wasn't surprised I feel like it was a very easy question to answer if I'm being honest but it it was really interesting I think it was really good for the Giants to kind of put together a really solid performance, even if their opposition maybe wasn't as, strong, wasn't as strong, simply for their own confidence. Like they looked good. They were having multiple goal kickers that weren't Cora Staunton, which is always a kind of big thing for the Giants. We got to see some really impressive young players. Zali Goldsworthy made her debut and was really, really excellent. You had a piece on her up on ESPN.com.au. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Give it a little cheeky plug. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think um, obviously it was a, it was a big game um, with it being the Derby and, and a lot of players really sort of came into their own. And I think something that was really exciting for the Giants was um, was Zali's performance. Um, I think she could definitely go a long way to a rising star nomination. We now know that um, she didn't get it. But I think something that we're going to have to get used to this season is that there's going to be a lot of people worthy of rising, rising star nominations that aren't going to get it. Um, but yeah, she ended on nine disposals, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if you've got to think for a first game or a 17 year old and someone that's still doing year 12 and traveling back and forth from home in Aubrey to training, that's a lot. Um, and yeah, two marks, I think in terms of how the game ended up, I think she did really, really well. And I think it's hugely promising for them and um, probably a bit disappointing that she hasn't debuted earlier, to be honest. Yeah, I reckon that's the big thing that you can't tell me they wouldn't have loved another two games of her in the side. Also, every time, I know it's a thing this season, but every time we talk about a player who is still doing U12 and also playing in the national competition I just it blows my mind because I wasn't doing anything nearly that impressive when I was in year 12 and it makes me feel very inadequate but we do love to see these girls absolutely going at it and showing off what they can do on the big stage with the Brisbane Suns game I feel like you kind of just got to ride it off for the Suns it was you know, don't log off, delete the whole account, burn the vision, let's forget that it happened. But in terms of Brisbane, I think we really need to speak about them and what they're putting together and what they're doing because it, it really is ridiculous. It was a 49-point win over Freo, 47 points over the Giants, and then 73 points over the Suns. I know you've literally just said they're your pick, they're your tip, 
they've got the D's up next and I think it's pretty uncontroversial to say that they should offer a bit more of a sterner test. But can you see the Lions being stopped at least by Melbourne this coming weekend? I can. Um, and I think as, yeah, two um, really hot competitors in the competition, we, as you say, we should expect more of a contest. But something that we're learning, particularly this season, is that um, you can probably, I hope it's not too controversial to say, you can probably discount the um, the expansion sides, maybe apart from Essendon. Um, but there's only going to be a maybe two teams. Well, after Adelaide's performance on the weekend, I don't actually know, but one team maybe that I think can stop the Lions. Um, but something that we all know is tried and true fact is that both of their sides are highly, highly defensive. Um, and so it will be interesting to see if they mix anything up in either of their attacking lines um, because we know that they can both both sides can kick really, really big margins. And so it will be interesting to see how they play that and how they structure the play um, around and for two sides that know each other quite well and have had the time to see how the other play and and have both gone through um, deep into finals, I think it will be really interesting to see how they evaluate that and how they mix it around because there are changes in both sides, obviously. It's not like other years. So I don't think we can fully predict what's going to happen, but I do think that Melbourne will put up a good fight. So it'll be interesting to see their their lists on Thursday. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting because there's also a couple of players who have had to uh, speak to the match review panel. So we'll see what the kind of final lists look like there. I just, I, I can't get over what Brisbane did. You know, you look at the stats, you look at their spread of goal kickers. Jesse Wardlaw had a day out with four. Greta Bodie kicked three. Zimmy Farquharson kicked two. I feel like just everything they do is so good and so efficient. They only had 10 more inside 50s than the Suns, but were just prolific and efficient and kept kicking goals for fun, basically. And I think another really telling fact was their pressure. They out-tackled the Suns 85 to 50. So they were just on them, like stink on a warthog. And it was just, it was really incredible to watch. But that's enough gushing about the Lions. We should probably talk a little bit about the Ds and the game they played. 26-point winners over the Saints. A little bit disappointing for the Saints because they had showed some really good signs in the opening few games. And the Demons really are an intriguing one for me this season just based on what they've dished up so far. I was listening to the the credit to the girls pod and Gemma Bastiani, who's an absolute stats wizard, revealed this on their podcast, basically said that the last two games, the Ds have only won one quarter in each of those games. Um, But those quarters have been so phenomenal that they've been enough to win them the ga- these last two games. So how do you kind of make sense of that stat and what the Ds are kind of offering up at the moment? Because it feels like they should be cleaner, better, do- doing more. I don't know if that's an unfair thing to ask of them, but it feels like they should be more coming from these Ds. That is a really interesting stat and I hadn't actually heard that. So that is, thank you to Gemma. That's pretty crazy actually. Um, And then, yeah, looking at the result as well, it doesn't seem to make 
a lot of sense. But I think probably one thing that we can um, put down to the Ds, as I said earlier, um, is their defence. And if they're not winning quarters, then they must just be um, minimising the impact that the other side has between the sticks. So, um, I mean, that much is clear. But I think also when you look at their main ball winners and um, and their stats, you can really see that um, the Demons just totally know what they're doing and they know that they can prioritise their defence and it will get them through. So it will be interesting to see this weekend actually how we play with that because, as I said earlier, something that is the strength of both the Lions and the Ds is their defensive side. So when they're playing a side like Brisbane, they may not be able to rely on that. So it will be really interesting to see. Like we could see a really low-scoring game on the weekend um, because both sides are just trying to keep the margins down, um, if that's the case. I'd be surprised if that's the case, as you said, because there are some major players that might actually be out. Um, But that's the only way I can really explain that stat because it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense um but yeah we're not seeing those huge blowout margins um like possibly we should be seeing with a list like they've got I think the one thing we know with kind of certainty is that all eyes are going to be on that Brisbane Demons clash because it's set to be absolutely fantastic there was talk of maybe moving it to a bigger stadium. Craig Stasevich was very much in favour of moving it, but the AFL has said, no, we're we're sticking with Casey Fields. It will be at Casey Fields. And apparently I can't remember the stat off the top of my head now, but the the Lions don't like Casey Fields. I think they've won one game there and it was in 2017 in that inaugural season and haven't had much success since. So it's going to be a very exciting contest come the weekend. Like we said, there were lots of other interesting games. Are there any players that, you know, you really liked the look of this weekend or who really impressed you? Yeah, it might seem like an obvious one because she has been named as one of the two rising stars, but Hannah Ewing's um, really, really exciting. Um, I think particularly because Port Adelaide have not yet seen a lot of success this season I mean I know it's really early to say that but just so far um, I think it's really exciting to see a rising star from a team that hasn't been having great results Um, and super exciting for her to be named um, next to Riley Wilcox who everyone was completely blown away by but I think the exciting thing about Hannah yeah as I said is there's to be playing alongside the likes of Aaron Phillips um, and to have the opportunity to really impress people. I think that's a huge opportunity. And, um, you know, a lot of the time you see those young players, they need a couple of years or probably more than a couple of years, really, maybe three years to really find their rhythm and get that game confidence and, and find out where they sort of sit within the side. But I think something really exciting about Hannah is that she sort of, she ran out there and seemed to know exactly what she was doing, where she belongs, what her role was. And I think that's pretty rare to see. Um, We also saw that in Riley, but I do think that they've got, I don't actually know the stats on this, but they do appear to have a younger skewed side. So um, I think for such a young, inexperienced player to run out alongside some really experienced players and really stand up and play a role. I think that's really exciting. 
my players, I, I loved watching Steph Wales for Essendon. There was a lot to love about Essendon's performance across the board. We can continue to rave about how good Maddie Prasparkas is, how good their forward line is, but Steph Wales' first-year rack kicking three for the game was just absolutely phenomenal. I absolutely loved watching her and just back to your point about the the two rising stars the way Riley Wilcox found out about her nomination I thought was very very sweet very very cute the clubs have really kind of um I I imagine the brainstorming meetings for how what what's the most fun way we can tell people good news that I can only imagine it's a bucket of fun to be part of and you know, really enjoyed the the way that they did that. So would definitely go recommend checking out and it will put a smile on your face, I reckon. Let's talk, I suppose, round four. We, we've spoken a lot about round four. We've put a lot of focus on that D's brisbane game. So I suppose the question becomes, what game are you looking forward to besides the, the Brisbane-Melbourne game? I think Collingwood-Adelaide will be really interesting. I think particularly because um, a lot of us were surprised by Adelaide over the weekend and we know that Collingwood are a really strong side um, but possibly aren't up there in the top four. I think it will be really interesting to see how they match up against each other Um Again, pending team lists um, and all that sort of stuff, I think it will be really exciting to see um, where they match up. It's at Victoria Park. So, again, how how will the Crows handle that? And will they come into it really um, desperate for a win or will they will they be a bit shaken up by, um, by the results? So I think that will be a really interesting one. Um, another one that I'll be interested to see is Essendon-Richmond. Um, because they're sort of the polar opposites of each other and I can feel like they're converging towards each other because Richmond been in the competition for four years and this is their, um, they're definitely on an incline, um, whereas Essendon, brand new to the competition, and they, as I said earlier, they sort of shocked people with their um, entering into the competition and and not completely losing out against established sides. So for an expansion side that has come in um, and is really strong straight off the bat and for an established side that's making a a slow incline, I think it will be really interesting to see where that one ends up because I actually don't know. I would really struggle with that tip. I don't know where... Um, where they might match up because I am really excited about Richmond and and their progress that they've been making. But by the same token, Essendon have some really, really strong players, particularly in that midfield. And we know that the Tigers um, are really prolific in their midfield when they want to be. Um, so they, I don't feel like they ever play a full four quarter game, but they, when they decide to have really strong passage of play in the midfield, they can do it. So it will be really exciting to watch. And I think probably the midfield is where that game will be mainly played. So I'm excited to see that one. That one will be really exciting. And from memory is the first AFLW Dreamtime game. So that one should be really, really wonderful just for that alone. But as you've just explained, sure to be a really, really good contest as well. I think the Collingwood Crows game is really important, like you said. Also, just in terms of sussing who else is in contention for kind of flag favoritism because Collingwood have been doing really well, second on the ladder at the moment, but we need to kind of, I suppose, keep seeing more from them. They they need to continue proving that they are 
worthy of being in this conversation in a a weird kind of way, I suppose. Um, We'll be really interested to see uh, Port take on Sydney because surely lightning can't strike twice and there can't be another draw. So one of those teams is surely going to get their first ever win, which should be really, really exciting. And I suppose the other other one that's a little bit interesting is North v Geelong. We saw Geelong uh, lost to Collingwood but had started the season really strongly. North's been a little bit interesting. So interested to see kind of where these two teams stack up against each other, whether they are kind of in a similar conversation or whether North just kind of needed a a little bit of a, or North, you know, had a little bit of a stumble, I suppose, against uh, the Crows, but uh, we'll get back to winning ways sooner rather than later. But I think that's us done for today. Remember, you can always read all of our AFLW stuff over on ESPN.com.au. Don't forget to get your tips in. I had a I had a perfect round. I'm very proud of it. I'm not, you know, taking into consideration the fact that everyone got a point for the draw. I've decided to just accept that I tipped a perfect round and I'm very, very happy with it. How did you go with your tips this week? Didn't get a perfect round, but I actually, I think I'm seven. So I actually did pretty well. The draw definitely helped me out as well. Um, but yeah, it's um that sort of skewed the margin a bit. But um, yeah, no, it'll be, I think this round actually, as with some of the games that we've just talked about, I think it will um, show who the real talented tipsters are because it's honestly a game of luck at the moment with some of these expansion sides. It, it really is. It's going to be very stressful but very fun. Make sure you get around it. Otherwise, we will see you all next week. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.